it's working. Good. <clears throat> so as you know, uh, we are in a series that I entitled Meeting Jesus for the First Time. What we do is we look at specific people that Jesus met in the Gospels, uh, who the people were, what they talked about when they met, and what happened after they met or after they talked, whether their lives were influenced and changed in a way or another. Um, another thing that I must say is that uh, each meeting and each sermon has a theme. Uh, so tonight we're looking at Jesus' meeting with an invalid man, and the theme is healing. You'll see what I mean by healing as we go along. So the text that we are going to look at is John 5, 1, 14. I don't have slides with the text because I don't want to... I, I just want you guys to pay attention to what I'm reading. So let's, let's go. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five, which has five, has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew, he had and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now the, that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in, the, in that place. In the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Amen. Now, let me. Let me point out two things. Actually, you know what? Let me, let me read the first five verses again. So that I can set a context for what's going to happen tonight. Now, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, right? There were celebration time. There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. We're in Jerusalem now. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool. It's a pool where people go and wash, right? But it's a special kind of pool because this pool, when the water was stirred up, healing would happen, right? The pool in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, right? And these lay a multitude of invalids. Imagine hundreds of people, maybe even thousands, people say. But hundreds is very realistic. Blind, lame, 
paralyzed, right? Invalids. Blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Not two, not ten, 38 years. More than my age, which is insane. Now, so let me point out two things. Number one, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he makes a purpose out of going to this pool where people are healed and he walks into the crowd. That's one thing. All these, these two points will become very important as we go along. So one is Jesus is in Jerusalem. There's no purpose for him to go there, at least not one obvious, but he goes to the pool. And number two, as I said, there's a huge crowd of people. And the first point was he goes there. The second point is there's a crowd of people and he leaves because of the crowd of people. It's very strange. This is a very simple text, apparently a very simple story, but it's very mysterious and strange. You'll see why as we go along. So, first point, Jesus comes to Jerusalem, goes to the pool without any apparent reason. Second, he leaves the pool because there's a huge crowd of people. Good. He didn't even stay around so that the man who he, who he heals sees who it was that healed him, right? And the question is, why not? Why didn't he stick around? Well, we'll answer that as we go along. Now, we get to verses 6 to 9. I'm not going to say anything about the series. You know where we are. We get to verses 6 to 9. Let me read that verses again. When Jesus saw him lying there, the, the man who was sick for 38 years, right? When Jesus saw him lying there and knew, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? What would you guys answer? Yes. What does he answer? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the water or into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another steps down before me, Jesus said, What would you, what would you do instead of Jesus? Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk away, right, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And the last verse, now that day was the Sabbath. Now there's three, there's three things about who Jesus is in, this, in these, uh, what, four verses. And I want us to look at that throughout the sermon. So... Number one is Jesus' knowledge. Number two, Jesus' compassion. And number three, Jesus' power. So let's go. So verse six. Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. Jesus knew this man before he even talked to him. Right? 38 years. Have you ever waited for something? Well, I almost said, have you ever waited for something for 38 years? Have you ever waited for something to happen for five years? Five years is a, well, some of us did. It's a very long time, right? 38 years to be paralyzed. 
Imagine not walking one day, people taking you up to take you to the toilet and imagine how hard it must be. But 38 years, it's insane, right? So he's been paralyzed for 38 years and he's waiting for some kind of miracle. Maybe this is the kind of miracle he was waiting for. Somebody to come, maybe somebody from God to come and heal him. Maybe he was expecting for Jesus without knowing. Just like maybe without knowing the woman at the well was waiting for Jesus. Or like without knowing the man on the cross gets to meet God. Right? The man that is promised that he'll be in paradise with Christ. Right? So he was hoping for some kind of meeting. Right? We're talking about people meeting Jesus. He was waiting for this kind of a meeting for 38 years. And Jesus knew his situation. Why didn't he heal him from afar? Why did he come to the pool? Why did he have to even talk to him? Why didn't he just go by and like he saw him, he knows him, and heals him and then leaves? Why? When you know Jesus, when you get to know Jesus, when you get to know and have a relationship with Jesus, this is the kind of person you meet, or this is the kind of person that Jesus is. He knows every single thing about us. He knows more than my wife knows about me, whether that's kind of not probable. But he knows more than you guys know about me, that's for sure. And it's the same about you guys, right? It's the same about everybody. Jesus knows everything because he created and everything was created through him. Of course he knows everything, right? And also, maybe it's good to keep in mind that he, as we, actually, maybe it's a good thing to do this. Parenthesis. This is the series so far, right? We, first, we talked about the woman at the well, and the theme was her thirst. And then second, we looked at Nicodemus, and the theme was the new birth. And then the third was Pontius Pilate, and we talked about truth. The fourth was the two thieves on the cross, and the theme was suffering. And now we're talking about an invalid man. If you, if you look closely, the, the, the first three, at least the theme, that we talked about was more general, right? Thirst was a bit more abstract, but it was clear, I guess, what that meant. So thirst, new birth, truth, right? It was more general. But as we come closer to the end, it gets more and more practical and more and more realistic, right? The suffering, the healing, you'll see what we're going to talk about next week. So every single of these people was known by Christ just like the man who was paralyzed for 38 years. He knew all of them personally. He knew all, all the details of their lives just like he knows us. So that's point number one. Jesus' knowledge. He knows everybody perfectly, completely. Number two, Jesus' compassion. Now, this is one of those things that makes him 
and his knowledge about us even more precious. He knows who I am and how, what a failure I am, and he still is compassionate towards me. He will not let me go. Right? Where do we see his compassion? Well, we see his compassion in the fact that he chooses to go to that pool. Right? He didn't have to. Nobody called him. There wasn't any designed trajectory or path for him. In order to get to Jerusalem, you have to go through the pool. Right? There's nothing like that. He chooses to go there. And why? I mean, again, let me, let me go back to the, to the woman at the well. Why did he go to Samaria? Well, not to Samaria, but why did he go to, to meet the woman at the well? There was no purpose in it. Well, there was a purpose, namely winning a sinner for him. It's the same situation here. Right? He chooses to go to the pool to win this guy over, to get his heart, right? He's looking for broken-hearted sinners, just like you guys were and I was. He asks the man, do you want to be healed? Again, what does he say? Instead of saying, yes, please, whatever. Yes, I want to be healed. Of course I want to be healed. No, he, says, he starts to complain and he starts to like, make a list of the tragedy that he's suffering. Right? He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another step down before me, right, there's a competition to be healed. right?" And he says, okay. He, I mean, Jesus just stops asking questions. He just says, okay, get up, take your bed. I mean, when he says take up your bed, don't imagine a bed, as I did when I first read this ever. <laughs> it's a straw mat, right, that people were laying down next to a wall in those times, right? He takes his straw mat, probably folds it or whatever, and he leaves, after 38 years. Imagine, you're not paralyzed for 38 years. Imagine that for 38 years you didn't talk to somebody. Or for 38 years you were not able to eat some specific thing. Or for 38 years you didn't visit your hometown. Or, I don't know, don't imagine paralyzed. Just imagine something else for 38 years. Whatever it is, it's a very long time. But how about when it's you paralyzed, legs not moving, right? So he was in a situation, he was in a, you could call it a miserable situation. And what I want to point out is, apparently the healing happened not because of something that this man did. He wasn't religious, he wasn't faithful, he wasn't a saint, he, was, he wasn't specifically dedicated to some Jewish something, no, nothing, nothing. Jesus goes there, picks him out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and says, take up your bed and walk. He could have picked any single other person, right? He's compassionate about this guy. 38 years. 
He hasn't done anything to deserve it, right? So, the way I want, to, I want you guys to look at this is, it's probably the best picture of grace being manifested. He knows, what, what is grace? Somebody knows something about you, he's compassionate towards you, and he has the power to do something for you, right? The three points that we're going to look at tonight. Knowledge, compassion, and power. This is, the, this is Jesus' grace being manifested in a very practical way. He knows this man, he wants to help him, he's compassionate towards him, and then, what does he say? Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And what does the man do? He sits there for half an hour. No. He gets up and he walks. Jesus' power is immediate. It's not postponed or late or tomorrow or... No, it's now. Get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. Remember last week when the two thieves were on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. Today, right? There's no delay. Like, let's, let's wait until the, the judgment or let's see what's your record. And No, today. But here it's different though. We'll see why it's different. So, the man gets up, takes up his so-called bed and walks away. What does Jesus do? He walks out. He doesn't stay with the man anymore. And he doesn't leave. They don't leave together. The man leaves. Jesus gets out and leaves. We'll see why. So, so far, what is the purpose of this meeting? The purpose of this meeting is to show us Jesus' complete knowledge of us. To show us Jesus' heartfelt compassion. He's very compassionate about the people he knows and know him because this man will get to know him and his sovereign power over everything. So, and again, this is a picture of grace being manifested in a practical way, right? Now, we get to verse 9 at the end of verse 9. And we are told out of the blue, apparently, that day, actually, let me, let me read the whole passage so that you remember what we're talking about. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And once the man healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. If you guys know anything about the Sabbath, you are not supposed to do anything physical no physical work but before we get to that we have to wonder like why is John the guy the the, the apostle who wrote the gospel why is he telling us again in the middle of a story that is about Jesus why is he telling us that it was the Sabbath it makes no sense well apparently 
But yes, it is about the Sabbath. The story is also about the Sabbath, but in a way that is focused on Jesus, not Jewish law and Sabbath law. Now, Jesus knows what he has done. He healed a person on the Sabbath. And not only that, he told him to carry his bed as a sign of celebration. Right? Take up your bed. He was lying on that bed for 38 years. Of course, there were people who would carry him, take him home, probably bring him back, and so on and so forth. But he was on that bed for 38 years. So it's only a sign of celebration if you can get up from it and grab it and leave with it. Right? I'm celebrating, I can walk, and I'm not in that bed again. But at the same time, Jesus surely, 100% knows he will create a conflict. The Jews are almost like paparazzi or TV, screen, TV um, people now with the cameras. All over everything that is trivial in the world, right? That's exactly how the Jews were during Jesus' time. He, they were following him and trying to see what he was doing wrong in order to be able to uh, accuse him of something. And of course it creates a conflict, right? What happens? Verses 10 to 13. The Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to him, Take up your bed and walk. Now, if I were one of the Jews, I would probably stop and say, after 38 year, years you were healed? I don't care about the bad. You were healed by a man after 38 years. But no, the Jews are all about the bad. In this short passage, in three verses, we, we hear about the bad three times, right? So the man answered, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Now, it's very remarkable the fact that um, Jesus simply disappeared. Right? He heals a man. The only thing they taught, right? This, the whole series is about people meeting Jesus, right? The only thing they, they speak to one another, at least in the first part of the meeting, is get up your walk and leave. At least that's what Jesus says. He didn't even tell him who he was. Why? You know, there's, I think it's a good thing sometimes to go through the Gospels and find places where you would contradict Jesus. I think it's a good exercise because then you can see how limited you are and how much there's still work to be done in your hearts, in our hearts. Because if I were Jesus, I would say, dude, I'm Christ. I healed you because I love you and this is grace and you, you should love me and let, let's leave together. I don't know. But no, he just heals him and leaves. Right? He disappears. And you might ask yourself, didn't he want to maybe heal his soul as well? Or why, why just disappear? Why just a random miracle? Right? Heal and go. Well, 
it's not just a random miracle. Because in verse 14, we get to see why it's not a random miracle. Verse 14 goes like this. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, short parenthesis, this is not in what I have here, but think about the fact that he tells him, Sin no more. Of course he's going to sin, right? It's not like this man simply stopped sinning from that moment until he died. What Jesus does, he, he gives him, uh, uh, um, this, is where, this is the limit, right? Try to sin no more, right? Jesus had no intention, that's parenthesis, Jesus had no intention of walking away from this man. And then the question, so if this is not a random miracle or a random healing, why did he heal him? Why did it happen? What was the reason for it to happen? And I want you to notice two things. One, at the, verse, at the end of verse 13, just before this, Jesus walked away from the man because there was a crowd there, right? Jesus had withdrawn, that's what the verse says, Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. And this is the second, if you remember, we started off pointing out two things. One, Jesus goes to the pool while he's in Jerusalem. And two, Jesus leaves the pool because there's a huge crowd, right? So this is the second point. The place was filled with sick people. I said, hundreds, over hundreds and hundreds of very sick people. If he would have stayed there after healing that man, what would have happened? Imagine, hundreds, over hundreds and hundreds of people coming over Jesus. Heal me as well, heal me as well, right? Miracle-seeking people, right? Not hearts that want to be fixed, not, not souls that want to be redeemed, but people who want to fix their arm. People who want to see miracles happen. Just like we had um, Herod, right? Jesus, if you're really Jesus, show me a miracle, man, so that I believe you, right? What Jesus wants is an honest heart, not curious eyes, right? So that's one thing. The second thing I want you to notice is that in verse 14, Jesus outlines the real reason or the real issue that we're talking about. And the real issue is not healing of the body, but it's a different one. He says... See, you are well. Now you are healed. You are full. You are new. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Worse than 38 years of being paralyzed? 
Now, the issue that we're talking about is holiness. The, the theme for tonight's sermon is healing in inverted commas because it's not healing, but it's holiness. Jesus heals his body, yes, but what he wants to heal is his soul, a new mind and a new heart. You can be as healthy as you can imagine and be as broken as you can imagine in your heart, right? You can be as rich and as whatever, but if your heart is broken because of your sinfulness, it's almost like you don't exist or you want not to exist, right? Jesus is saying to the man, sin no more, stop sinning. My aim in healing your body is the healing of your soul. I have given you a gift. It's a free gift. It's a gift by grace. It came first before my command. You didn't earn it. You weren't good enough for it. I chose you freely. Now stop sinning. Right? That's what he's saying. He's not, and he's not telling the man, you know what? Now be moral. Be a Jew. Don't break the law. He says, sin no more. Right? Leave, leave your life as if you want to sin no more. Imagine yourself living a life like that. Being, we are all aware what sin is and how small and how big and how it gets into your heart so easily. Imagine you wanting to live a life where you say, I do not want to sin anymore at all. So what, why was the man healed? The man was healed in order that his soul will be healed. Now, very close to the end actually. A simple question, what are the implications of this for us today? Because if you, if you look at it from a bird's eye view, right, from, from a very general point of view, it doesn't really relate to who we are and what we're doing now. Maybe. So what are the implications for us today? So Jesus walked into a huge multitude of invalids, right? Hundreds, over hundreds and hundreds of people that were either paralyzed or whatever. And how many does he heal? How many does he heal? One. He heals one man out of hundreds and hundreds. And what does he do afterwards? He disappears. He doesn't talk to anybody. He doesn't talk to all the other ones. He doesn't stay there to see if somebody's interested. No, he just disappears. He leaves hundreds over hundreds of people still in their pain and suffering and their misery. And then he goes back later into the temple. He finds the man he healed and tells him, sin no more. 
What are the implications of that for us today? Now, the point is this. In the first coming of Jesus Christ, we get a hint of His healing power. Right? There are some miracles happening. There are some signs. Some people are healed. But the full healing of all His people, of His entire people, His church, will happen at His second coming. Today, healings are an exception and not the rule. Yes, people can be healed, but it's an exception. It's not the rule. Some people make the rule out of it, and that's not biblical. This guy, this, this, this guy that he was healed, he will still die before Jesus comes back. We, sitting here tonight, are going to die of some sickness before Jesus comes back, right? He's not going to heal us, maybe. We don't know. But we're going to die of something. But we're going to be healed in our souls. We're going to be restored and redeemed at His second coming. That's our hope. That's our trust, right? But Jesus left hundreds at the pool. And He told one man who had not even believed in Him to wake up. Jesus, in a sense, He told man, I'm pursuing your holiness. I want you to be holy. I want you to live your life as if you don't want to sin anymore. Now, the main issue in this age until Jesus is coming back is we have to meet Him. That's what we have in this series, right? Throughout looking at these people who met Him, we're learning how to meet Him as well. Because the only way we meet Him, I don't have my Bible here, the only way we meet Him is in His Word. And don't forget, Jesus knows everything. He's compassionate about every trial that we're going through. And He is sovereign or powerful over everything. Next week, these are some questions for the Bible study, but we may as well read them. Have you met Jesus? Right? The man met Jesus, right? The first time. Have you met Jesus? Jesus knows you. Do you know Him? Jesus has comp was compassionate about you. Do you love Him? Jesus manifested His power towards you. Did you respond in a way or another? Have you been healed? Does your life echo the purpose of that healing? Are you striving to live a holy life? Right. Now, next week we're going to talk about the you in I will follow you. You'll see what that means if, you're, if you'll be here. Let me pray. Lord, uh, we sit here tonight looking at this man who met Jesus for the first time in his life. This man who was healed in his body and later healed in his soul. Lord, we want to be like 
you, Lord. We want to be loving, we want to be compassionate, and we want to be uh, people who speak the truth in love, and we want to be part of your healing the world when it comes to uh, redeeming it and, and healing it from its sin. Lord, empower us through your spirit to speak the truth to those who do not know you, and help us understand you better throughout these meetings and throughout this series and help us learn what we have to learn and apply it in our personal lives, Lord. I thank you and I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And I think we can stand for the benediction.